Hi, I'm Philip. I'm Lindsay. I'm Katie. I'm Chelsea. And this is Hanging, Hanging with, with My Cronies. Today we're going to be talking about a fascinating but also debilitating disease that has recently had a very large breakthrough in its treatment and now we are in the process of actually eradicating it from the earth. Sounds intriguing. Blimey. Today we're talking about Ebola. So guys, um, Ebola's been in the news recently. It's, you know, very prevalent, especially in, you know, 2014 to 2016. What do you guys know about Ebola? I know it's very contagious. I know it's a virus that has some connection to primates and bats. Yep. It's a hemorrhagic fever. I feel uncomfortable laughing at hemorrhagic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, like, as I'm, as I'm researching this, I'm like, how can we make this light? Because it's kind of a very serious disease, So right? you leak from all of your orifices, don't you? Um, within the later stages of the disease, yes. Internal and external bleeding is Yikes. one of the final stages of the disease. Is it very widespread or is it very localized? It's very localized. And the reason for that is, is because it is not an airborne disease. It's only transmitted by bodily fluids. So you have to be in contact with someone that's actually mm -hmm. infected before you can actually catch the disease. Ebola has been in the news recently. And the reason for its prevalence is because the largest documented outbreak of Ebola happened in 2013 to 2016. Um, there was over 28,000 cases with over 11,000 deaths. Oh, my God. It's awful. It is absolutely terrible. Um, in fact, uh, one of the directors of the NIH could be, is quoted as saying, the Ebola epidemic ravaging parts of West Africa is the most severe acute public health emergency seen in modern times. Never before in recorded history has a bio safety level four pathogen infected so many people so quickly over such a broad geographical area for so long. Wow. I mean, you think of things like bird flu and the widespread panic from that, but this sounds so much worse. And there's kind of another resurgence happening right now, right? Not quite as big, but it's popped up again. Yeah, it's been going on for about a year, right? That's correct. And same sub-Saharan Africa sort of region, isn't it? Yep. It is. Um, does anybody know why it's only prevalent in starting cases in sub-Saharan Africa? Is it because from what Katie said, how it, it spreads from primates and bats? Is that where they're found? That's correct. So the indigenous population of species is where it actually the, it resides. And so if um, that's how we catch it is from bats and from apes and things like that. Mainly they think that the reservoir for the disease is in, is in bats mainly. So does anybody remember whenever there was the big uptick in the news coverage of Ebola in 2014? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you guys remember why? People were dying. A couple people in the U.S. died coming back, right? Yeah, there were health workers going there to help and they were contracting the disease. That's true. So and there, um, there's two different um, instances here. One was a doctor um, that was uh, with Doctors Without Borders that came back and had contracted the illness and was able to survive um, it was while it happened in the U.S. and he was taken care of here, actually he contracted it over there and then was brought back to the U.S. Um, there was another case in Texas because I was still living in Texas at the time. So there was a case in Dallas where a man had just recently arrived from Liberia um, and uh, was infected with Ebola. Um, how, how did he get infected? Was it here or in 
Liberia. So it was actually in Liberia. Um, and it's an interesting question because he was actually trying to help a pregnant woman um, who had contracted Ebola get to the hospital. So her, her family actually was unable to get an ambulance to come transport her. So he helped transport her, and that's how he ended up getting the disease. Oh, my goodness. You bring up a good point about the woman not having access to ambulances. There was an article that I just read that um, was basically saying that these taxi motos are helping the spread of Ebola, and it's because there's not infrastructure there for cars and easy transport for ambulances to get around places. So people who need to go to the hospital, they'll get on to these motorcycle taxis and the, they might have Ebola and, um, you know, and the taxi driver will get it and then another person will hop on and they'll kind of, you know, they have to touch each other because you're riding a motorcycle. It's not like you're in a car. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I didn't look into what type of transport, how he helped transport her to the hospital, but you're right. The um, the infrastructure there is not very good, so it's probably very likely that he was using a, a motorcycle to, to get her there. So why was he able to leave Liberia? Whenever one of these outbreaks happens, they do have forms that you have to fill out before you get on an airplane saying whether or not you've been in contact with someone that has contracted Ebola, um, and he lied on his form. So... He didn't actually admit the fact that he'd been in contact with someone that was positive for Ebola um, before he actually got on the airplane and then traveled from uh, Liberia to, I think, the UK and then to somewhere in the States and then finally to Dallas. So he was on four different flights with people prior to actually getting to Dallas. So how did, did, uh, can you say again, did the pregnant lady have Ebola? And that was why she needed, okay. Yeah, so the pregnant lady did have Ebola, and she did pass away from the illness um, after she was taken to the hospital. Uh, Because of the severity of the disease, it's, it depends on, overall it has about a 50% survival rate, but depending on where you are and the medical treatment that you receive, the fatality rate can be up to 90%. Oh my God. And there's also different strains of Ebola I was reading, right? And there's one particularly that is the most deadly? Correct. That's correct. And you said it's a viral disease? So what Ebola is, is it's a viral disease um, that starts as a fever, a sore throat, um, headache, and muscle ache. So it has very similar symptoms to the flu. Right. Um, they sound very general symptoms. Yep. Very yeah. general symptoms that come about um, within the, uh, I would say within the first, I think it's between six to eight days of exposure. And then it very rapidly progresses to a rash with vomiting and diarrhea, and then progresses even further to, uh, past that to decrease liver and kidney function. And finally, you have um, internal and external bleeding, which leads to death, and that's because of low blood pressure due to the fact that you're just having this massive loss of fluids. So because it has flu-like symptoms, how do we test for forward in the lab or in the clinic? So the first thing that's done is as someone is intaken in, and in triage, they ask about your travel history. So if you've ever been to, or if you've gone, recently traveled to Sub-Saharan Africa, they'll submit your blood work for a test um, for either RNA or antibodies against Ebola, as well as testing for the actual virus itself. So it's like serology is how they're testing? Correct. Because it sounds a very severe and very rapid disease, so you want to 
diagnose as quickly as you can. Do you know how long it takes from contracting to actually be symptomatic? Six to eight days. Wow. The area of risk is between from eight to 16 days. So most patients, if they're going to pass away after the onset of symptoms, it's between eight and 16 days. And I was reading that if somebody survives, they have the antibodies to protect them against it for like a decade, right? Correct. So just like any um, time we get an illness, we're going to develop antibodies against um, the invading pathogen. And therefore, we're protected against it as we go forward. So you're saying that it's um, transmitted through bodily fluids like, you know, saliva, feces, things like this. Um, How long can it survive? Did they burn these planes like that this guy traveled on? Like, what did they do? What's the concern? Well, because he didn't he wasn't symptomatic on, on the planes. There was and no one else from the planes got sick. They probably detoxed it at the same time. He wasn't actually emitting the viruses, not emitting, shedding the viruses in his saliva yet Mm -hmm. because he was asymptomatic. Um, That's a good question, and I don't know the answer. I know that it's a longer term period than, say, HIV. Um, This virus is prevalent out within the bodily fluids much longer than just, you know, say a few minutes. I think it's it's, uh, more hardy virus and it's present for a lot longer than that. I read something, especially in in that region of um, Africa, um, a lot of the the ritual for for burial of the dead, um, you know, involves a lot of wrapping the body in a shroud and touching the body and you know, besides bodily fluids coming in contact with those, uh, if you also just touch the muscle tissue, um, that cannot, that's also infected with the virus and you can um, come in contact with that. So a lot of people who were uh, doing these burial practices, they were then getting sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also kind of led to the spread yep. of the disease. I remember watching a documentary that a lot of the care for some of these patients, because the um, the sites that were set up where doctors were, were super overloaded. So there was actually just a lot of families. There was this documentary I watched about a mother who was caring for her son and like everybody else was kept out of the house, but she was being like as careful as she could be trying to keep the community away. Cause I think it's a lot of these communities like band together and try to care for people, which is great, but at the same time just increases the risk. So I'm sure all of this had a lot to do with why it was able to spread so aggressively mm. aside from just the properties of the virus. Um, so going back to the, the man that traveled to Dallas, um, he actually arrived in the U.S. and then four days later was whenever he started to experience the symptoms. Um, he went to the ER at a hospital in Dallas and was seen at triad, triage, but was not asked about his travel history. And so he was given antibiotics and sent back home. And four days later, he was transported back to the same hospital by ambulance this time because, you know, this, the antibiotics have no effect mm. against a virus, which is why you don't get antibiotics whenever you have a viral infection. Um, and within 15 minutes, a doctor ascertained his travel history. And within three hours, that same doctor was on the phone with the CDC saying, we think we have a case of Ebola. And so that's what escalated this case so high and so quickly was because they, they, you know, someone actually did their due diligence in figuring out, you know, could this be Ebola? It was confirmed the next morning um, that he did have Ebola and uh, treatment was started. But by which time he's come into contact with 
who knows how many people. And exactly. How do you quarantine Mm-hmm. that many people. That is something that they do now. That's one of the ways of treatment and prevention of Ebola, both in Africa and anytime it travels to somewhere else, is that you not only go with the person's contacts, but their contacts, contacts, mm-hmm. and their contacts, contacts. So that you basically spider web out from that one person to try and see all, find all of the people that could have possibly come into contact with that person to minimize and limit the, the transmission of the disease. So what are the treatment options for somebody who is identified to have Ebola? So treatment options are actually very minimal right now in terms of approval um, by the FDA. Because you're losing a lot of fluids, the main one is hydration, trying to keep the person, you know, and keep them as healthy and hydrated as they possibly can be. Um, But as of right now, there's no approved treatment. Um, There's a lot of different research around um, the use of other antivirals in in the use of Ebola. Um, Some of them have already been shown not to be uh, efficacious, but there are still ongoing studies. As well as a antibody was um, isolated from a survivor of the 95 uh, DRC outbreak. where they've identified an antibody that actually binds the glycoprotein cap of the virus. um, And they're trying to develop a biologic from that. So having an antibody that is, you know, identified from a survivor that they know triggers an immunological response, being able to purify that and make that into a treatment. And would that be a treatment for someone with disease as opposed to a prophylactic vaccination against the disease? So it would be something that once the person has contracted Mm -hmm. Ebola, let's give them the antibody so that their immune system can try and start fighting it. Because as of right now, it's just hydration and hoping their immune system can actually respond to the virus. And what did you say the mortality rate could be up to? Up to 90%. Oh, my God. The other thing is, as you mentioned, taking someone that has already contracted the disease and survived, they have antibodies against the virus. And so I mentioned earlier about the doctor um, that was in Doctors Without Borders that contracted the disease. Um, They actually took him and used serum from his blood to infuse the patients here in America to try and help their immune response. Um, So while this um, man uh, was sick and it was too late for that infusion to help him, Two nurses that were helping take care of him um, during the latter part of, during the latter stages of the disease actually contracted the illness, but because they were being heavily monitored, their fever was or their temperature was taken every day. Both of them got that you know quarantined and immediately taken care of um, in that infusion, and they were be able to to survive. So, are they working on a vaccine for Ebola by looking at like the inactivated forms of it? They are. So um, vaccine, a vaccine for Ebola is what has actually been the breakthrough um, within the last few years. So there are um, currently three vaccines that are going through phase one trials, one that's actually in phase three, tri- phase three trials, and one that is actually currently being in use. Now, it has not been approved by the FDA But because of the efficacy that they've seen in using it in um, sub-Saharan Africa, it's being it's constantly being used. So if someone does come out with um, contracts Ebola, they actually go back and they'll go through their uh, contacts, 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 what's called ring vaccination. 
and they will um, vaccinate all of those people using this new vaccine. So this vaccine was developed by the Public Health of Canada, who then partnered with a company called New Link Genetics, which then again partnered with an even bigger company, which I think we all know, Merck. So because this is viral based, they can generate a vaccine and we've spoken about vaccines at length with Adrian. Is there any concern that the Ebola virus can mutate like you see with flu viruses? Do they have to get the strain for each outbreak or is there? As of right now, they're not, they don't see the high uh, frequency of mutation with Ebola like they do with the flu strain. So the vaccine is actually, um, it's called the VSV um, Ebola vaccine. So the VSV is the vascular stomatis virus. And so they're taking that virus, putting a glycoprotein from Ebola within it. And then that's what they're using to actually make the vaccine. It's not an inactivated Ebola virus. It's a protein from Ebola that's on the coat of the, of the vesicle so mm-hmm. that they can actually generate an immune response to the, that, um, the disease. It's very cool. Yeah, sounds awesome. I mean, these outbreaks are relatively recently and they spread so voraciously. Do you know how long it's taken to develop these vaccines? In terms of start to finish, I, I don't know the, the timeline, but I do know that whenever it became in 2013, whenever there was this huge um, outbreak, it basically aligned all of the global resources to start working towards a vaccine um, because they knew that that was the, the way to actually stop this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was in 2013. By 2016 is whenever they started using this virus. And like I said, there's multiple different groups that are working on different ways of making the vaccine, but they're still all partner. I shouldn't say they're partnering together, but they're all trying to eradicate this disease. And something that I also want to mention is the fact that with this ring vaccination where you're vaccinating people that may have been in mm-hmm. contact with the infected individual, that's what was used to eradicate smallpox. And so they're hoping that by the time, you know, we increase the abundance of this vaccine and spread it throughout uh, sub-Saharan Africa, they're able to actually... Another success story of vaccination. Exactly. Hey, Chelsea, what technologies have they used to develop these vaccines? Well, there's a lot of different te- technologies. You've got to clone in the, the protein from Ebola into the, the carrier virus. You've got to grow up the, the actual carrier virus, meaning that you got to do a lot of cell culture. And then you've got to purify that virus. So you've got to use chromatography to actually take your starting material down to a vaccine that's ready to go into patients. Mm-hmm. What types of resins would you use to purify a virus? Um, So there's a lot of different resins that you can use, but one of the most commonly used resins to purify vaccines is ceramic hydroxyapatite, or CHT. And that's a mixed mode resin, correct? Correct. Correct. Meaning that it has both calcium and phosphates that are able to interact with the, whatever your molecule of interest is. Um, And so the resin is actually, or the media is actually the ligand because it's just crystalline calcium phosphate. Mm -hmm. One of the vaccines is being developed um, at the NIH in a group called the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Disease, and they are actually partnering with GSK. But that's the one that is in phase three clinical trials. I mean, it's great to see that they can respond so quickly. 
and even though these vaccines may not have got full FDA approval, they're effective enough to be used in such cases like this. It really shows you how quickly these can turn around mm-hmm. when so necessary. Uh, the percentage of efficacy is over 97% for this vaccine in protecting against Ebola. Wow. And that's in two years. That's remarkable. Yeah, that's a really quick turnaround. So I think one of the reasons that the FDA does not have an approved vaccine for Ebola um, doesn't have to do with how efficacious this vaccine is, but the regulations around how vaccines are approved just aren't applicable for Ebola because it's such a dangerous pathogen. Right. You can't experimentally expose people to it to see if the vaccine works. Is there anything different between the outbreaks that are happening right now versus in the past? I think so, yes. Um, so, I mean, this outbreak that happened in, you know, that started in 2013 really caused a global uproar. But I think it has to do with the globalization of the planet now, the fact that we're having a lot of movement between different countries. And so something that was localized to just one village 50 or so years ago is now capable of being spread across the planet. And so the... Um, the public health agencies across the world, you know, the World Health Organization, the NIH here, the public health organization in Canada, they all realized that this could be, you know, a global catastrophe without having to watch a, you know, sci-fi movie. Um, they realized how important it is to really stop this. Um, and so they put all of their efforts towards researching and kind of getting a vaccine. find so interesting about this topic is the fact that while a public health emergency is never something that you one would desire but that it can help align global resources so that they're now collaborative rather than competitive and provides the foundation for breakthroughs in science to actually happen more quickly so that we can get the care to the people that need it as soon as possible or as quickly as possible. Make sure and check us out on bioradiations.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thanks for hanging with us. This podcast is an original creation of BioRad Laboratories. BioRad is a trademark of BioRad Laboratories Incorporated. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.